Matthew chapter five, verses one to six. This is a familiar passage with, I think with all of us here. Um, We are not going to read the whole sermon on the Mount, but we will see how we do with the first five verses First six verses. I'm sorry. First six verses. Would you stand with me, please? And let's read this together. The first six verses, let us begin. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. Uh, You may be seated, please. Uh, Just before I I open in prayer, just a couple of comments here that uh, the Lord Jesus was near Capernaum, the city of Capernaum near the sea of Galilee and this is at the beginning of his ministry. And he delivers this tremendous sermon to the Jewish nation represented there before him. It's the longest sermon we have of his on record. Now Christ's first mission on earth was to present himself as Messiah to the Jewish people, the Jewish nation. So this sermon is very Jewish in its nature and it deals much with the Mosaic law chapters five, six, and seven. He starts with a series of blesseds. And of course we know them as what the beatitudes. That's right. Now these beatitudes, these blesseds would have right away caught the attention of the people sitting there and would have given them a great sense of hope because this was very different to how the Pharisees and Sadducees and the rabbis were preaching to the people. They didn't talk to them like this and sitting before Jesus that day would have been many Jewish people that did have a deep longing in their heart to be right with God, a deep longing in their heart to know his righteousness. And here's the Lord Jesus right in front of them, telling them that they're blessed because they have this hunger and thirst for righteousness and promising them that they will be filled. So I ask you to examine your heart tonight. And those of you watching over the internet again, thank you for tuning in. And I ask all of you please to, to think about this. Do you have a longing in your heart to be right with God, to live right, to think right, to do right. Do you desire to breathe heaven's air? Do you have a hunger and a thirst to live a life of righteousness? Because if you do, then I have this message for you tonight. So let us bow our heads and pray. And then we'll continue. Heavenly father. Thank you for this amazing promise from our Lord Jesus saying, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. Our father, would you please fill us with your righteousness? Would you please show us and teach us from the scripture tonight, the truth of hungering and thirsting and what that means and how we can be filled for your glory's sake. We pray it in Jesus name. Amen. Interesting that the Lord should speak the way he does 
And uh, talking about hunger and thirst, hunger and thirst are common human experiences. When the Lord is talking about hunger and thirst, he's not saying that you've been hungry for 40 days and 40 nights and you haven't had a drink of water for about 21 days. He's not saying that. It's just a common, normal, everyday occurrence of hunger and thirst. It has to be that way. God put it that way into our human bodies. Every day, normally, we experience hunger and thirst. Now, the sensation of hunger usually happens when our stomachs start getting empty. And they start to contract or to shrink. And somehow this triggers a desire to eat. And some people, like some teenagers I know, they always seem to be hungry. You can never fill them. They finish a meal and then they say, what else is there? I'm still hungry. And so um, this is usually because their bodies, of course, are growing faster at a faster rate and require more, more food and more energy. Now, other people may just have an overactive thyroid and they just may be hungry all the time, I suppose. Uh, Or maybe it's just a real bad habit, but whatever we usually try to satisfy our hunger three times a day. Usually we feel that hunger for breakfast and at lunchtime and at dinner or supper time. And then we have the sensation to eat something. Now the sensation of thirst usually happens when the body is experienced some form of dehydration and for any reason whatsoever. However, excessive thirst, as many of us know, may be a symptom of some other medical condition. For example, diabetes. That was one of the, the odd things that I was experiencing about 10 years ago. Why I was so thirsty. What's going on? Why can I just not get enough water to drink? It's because I was diabetic and I didn't even know it. And so um, the sensation of hunger and the, sensa- and the cessation of thirst These are two sensations that are normal, natural, and we experience them every day, usually. And if you think of the desire for righteousness, that also should be a normal, natural, daily desire for righteousness. And so in the light of that, do you have that? You probably have the sensation of hunger and thirst on a daily basis, but do you have the sensation of a hunger and thirst for God's righteousness on a daily basis? Now that's a good question, isn't it? And that's worth searching one's heart over. Do I really have a hunger and thirst for righteousness on a daily basis? I don't think it's any mistake that the Lord chose those words, hunger and thirst knowing they were common everyday daily occurrences in normal life for food and and drink. And he applied it to the righteousness of God. It's very interesting. I think in the sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus uses these two common human sensations to teach us a spiritual truth. And the overall principle is that when you want something, When you really want something with all of your heart, then you will hunger and thirst for it. Now, listen, I just want to be honest with you tonight. I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine what it would be like living a life with no 
sense of hunger and thirst for something good in life. I can't imagine how some people can just, I don't know, be as dry as dust, as dead as doornails and just kind of live 50, 60, 70, 80 years. And they're just so passive. They have no desire for anything. I can't imagine living like that. It would be worse than death to me. I think that life is, is just that it's living. It's life. It's alive. It's vibrant. And I believe that to live life to the fullest, we need to experience some sort of overwhelming sensation for something good to happen. And that I think touches on the subject here tonight. Now, is there anything that you are wanting anything good that you are wanting from God, anything that you are wanting God to do for you. And is it more than just a simple desire? Is it, is it a hunger? Is it a thirst? Does your heart ache for this good thing? Because I think that it ought to, I really do. I think it ought to, it usually starts as a thought. You might say, oh, I have an idea. Wouldn't it be nice if, and then as time goes on, that thought turns into a desire where it's now more than just a thought, but boy, that's something you would really like. And from a desire, it grows into a hunger and a thirst. And I use the word ache in here as well. Now here in Matthew chapter five, verse six, look at it again with me, please. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. The Lord is speaking of righteousness, hungering and thirsting and wanting it so badly that your soul is actually feeling starved. I'm starving, Uh, thirsty. I'm dying of thirst and wanting that so badly. And again, I ask you how badly on a daily basis do you want the righteousness of God in your life? Now turn a page and look at chapter six, verse 33. And then look what, see with me here, what Jesus said to the very same crowd of people. Verse 33, read it out loud with me, please. Everyone out loud, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Oh, I tell you absolutely. Absolutely. As God is my witness, the righteousness of God found in Jesus Christ found in the Lord Jesus Christ, not trying to go about establishing our own righteousness, but found in the Lord Jesus Christ is something that we should all want. And we should all want it very badly. And we should all hunger and thirst after this. And I do believe that salvation makes this possible because it brings Jesus Christ himself into our lives. But folks, this is just the beginning. It doesn't end there. It's like, bringing a baby into the world and saying there, I've done it. I hope you live long and prosper and turning and leaving the baby on its own. You would never do that because you know, the baby would die. The baby needs a lot of attention. And when we get saved, it's like we're babies spiritually and we need help. We need others to come and to help us and to, to feed us and pray for us and fellowship with us and encourage us and teach us and counsel us and just love us. And we need that. Now take your Bible, please. And turn to second Peter. Let's go to the, to the far right there. Second Peter and chapter number one. 
And I want to show you here what I'm talking about of this idea of the righteousness being just the beginning. And just a moment ago, I was telling you that 10 years ago, I had this insatiable thirst. Couldn't, couldn't drink enough. Here I am taking a drink of water. <laughs> See, that proves I'm diabetic. Proves I was telling you the truth. Chapter one of second Peter. Now I'm going to begin in verse three here. Um, let's see here. Verse three, according as his divine power hath given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Yes. Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great uh, and precious promises. Actually, I'm going to jump down to verse five here. And besides all this, giving all diligence, all diligence, add to your faith, virtue and to your virtue, knowledge and to your knowledge, temperance and to temperance, patience and to patience, godliness and to godliness, brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness, charity. That's a lot, isn't it? Sounds like a lot, but we're to give all diligence. We're to do this. We're to, to do it so badly to hunger and thirst. And we're to do it. Verse eight, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. These things need to be in us. There are so many Christians today that seem to be content with the fact they're saved. They're not going to go to hell. They're going to go to heaven. And then they leave it at that. And what a mistake, what a mistake. And I'll tell you something. Those of us who have been trying to grow in Jesus, we can tell right away who these people are. It doesn't take long. You're around them and you, you know, they're not growing. These are infantile Christians. They're not reading their Bible and praying. There's no hunger and thirst. There's no light in their eyes. Oh, they may smile with their mouth. They may be nice people. They may be saved, but boy, I tell you, they're not doing any of this stuff here. They're not trying at all to become more like Jesus day by day. Folks, this is part of our calling is to become like Jesus, isn't it? And it's a day by day thing. And we need to want that. We need to daily hunger and thirst for this righteousness. Now, the psalmist often gave a very descriptive uh, writing as to how he would hunger and thirst after God. Let me read for you a few in Psalm four, verse three, but know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. Psalm eleven seven. for the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. Psalm 25, five, thou art the God of my salvation on thee. Do I wait all the day? There's a man hungering and thirsting after God. Psalm 25, 14, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. Psalm 27, verse eight, when thou saidst, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek Psalm 42 verses one and two as the heart panteth after the water brooks. Boy, there's thirsting, isn't it? So panteth my soul after thee. O God, my soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before him? There's hunger and thirst for righteousness. If you ask me, you know, when you feel that you must have something, 
that you can't seem to live without it. Now we're talking about something good folks, something proper, something good. And when you feel that you must have this, for example, righteousness, then this is where importunity comes to play. This is where importunity all on its own comes right up for this. Turn back to the gospel of Luke. Let's go there. Luke and chapter 11. I love this chapter. I love this story. This is this story has inspired me countless times. Luke chapter 11. Now I'm going to begin here in verse five. So follow along very carefully, please. As, as I begin reading verse five, and he said unto them, which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine in his journey is come to me and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, trouble me not. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. Hmm. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend. Yet because of his importunity, you say, now what does that word mean? It means persistence. It means he's not going to take no for an answer. It means he's not going away. He's going to keep on asking, seeking and knocking. That's what importunity means. It says here, because of his importunity, he will rise. Wait a minute. He just said he couldn't. No, no. That's what he said. What a person says and what they do are two different things. He will rise and give him as many as he needeth. All right. What's the story? We have a man who comes to his next door neighbor, say at around midnight. And he asks for three loaves of of bread. So what do you want three? Well, I have a, a friend who's come to me and I've got nothing to set before him. Now, the first man who had nothing, it may be that he was very poor. Chances are he was maybe a little bit on the poor side. Or maybe he just used up all of the food in his house that day. Bottom line, he had nothing. He had nothing to set before his friend. So he goes to his next door neighbor. He must have known that his neighbor had food. If he knew his neighbor had nothing or was poorer than him, he wouldn't have gone there. But he goes to his neighbor and he knocks on the door and he says, help. You got to help me here. I'm in trouble. My friend has come and I got nothing to set before him. And inside, of course, the guy says, go away. I can't get up and help you. Look at the time. Have you looked at your, uh, your sand dial there <laughs> to see the time? It's late. It's midnight. And my kids are all in bed here. If I get up, it's, it's going to wake them up. I makes you wonder the kids are probably already awake by now, but he says, I, I can't help you go away. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything. The guy doesn't take that for an answer. He keeps, he keeps at it. His importunity. No, no, no. You really got to help me. You're the only one that can help me. I can't help you. Go away. I don't have any other friends. You got to help me, please. Oh, don't make me do this. Oh, please. I'll never ask another thing ever again. You know how sometimes people can be. And so he asks and asks and asks. And because of this, because of his persistence, 
This guy grudgingly gets up. Oh, all right. Now you notice he asked for three loaves and yet only, he only had one friend come. Have you ever thought about that? What does he need three loaves for? Well, the loaves of bread back then in, in the middle East, they were just small. They weren't like these big loaves you buy at the grocery store. They were just small. Now I'm only taking a guess at this, but one loaf for his friend, one loaf for his wife and one loaf for him. It's kind of impolite to put food in front of your guest and then sit down and just watch him eat. Now, by the way, there's another lesson here. It's not dealt with here, but there's one that I think is here. If you read between the lines, it's perfectly okay to get your own needs met when you're in the process of getting someone else's needs met. You're going to bat for someone else and it's okay to get a little blessing in there yourself. The guy wasn't asking for the sun, moon and stars. He was asking for three loaves. That's all he was asking for. And his neighbor had it. And even though his neighbor would not get out of bed because he's a neighbor, he got out of bed because the guy's going to drive me crazy. He's going to be there all night knocking on my door. All right. To solve the problem. All right. All right. Already. I'll get up here. There you go. There go. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank me in the morning. And off he goes. What a lesson. What a story. That's importunity. And when you begin to hunger and to thirst for something from God, that's when your importunity all by itself will kick in. You've got it. It's in you. That's what they say about donating blood. It's in you to give. That's what they say. It's in you to give. Well, I'll tell you importunity is in you to give or in you to use or something. It's in you. And when you begin to hunger and thirst bad enough for something, All of a sudden this starts coming out. Now, some people, they're going to God and they're asking God for great wealth. Even some Christian people will go to God and say, please let me win the lotto this Friday. Oh Lord, please. I promise I'll share it with you. That's how some Christians pray. Now they should read their Bible because James answers this in chapter four, verse three, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. That's why people play the lotto is so that they'll get money. They'll get rich because they think somehow that money is going to solve their problems. Even if they did get a big dump truck full of money, it's not going to solve their problems because they don't realize the problem is not money. The problem is in their heart. Their problem is in their relationship with God. That's the problem. It's nothing. It's easy for God to supply money. Oh, then why doesn't he? Because he wants to work together with you to solve a deeper problem. What's that? your lusts. Some people get themselves into debt, cry out to God, 
for a dump truck load of money to get them out of debt. And if God did that, I'll tell you what would happen in 12 months. They'd be right back into debt. Well, anyhow, we're not here to talk about that. We're here tonight to say, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. I'm going to ask you this. How badly are you wanting that thing from God? How badly? Now we're talking about something good now, not something that is worldly. We're talking about something good. And you've been praying for it. Maybe how badly do you want it? Huh? How's that hunger? How's that thirst? How's that ache inside of you? How badly do you want it? John Knox, one of the reformers, he experienced this hunger and this thirst for God's salvation and righteousness to come to Scotland. And it became an overpowering desire in his life where he could think of nothing else. He wanted nothing else. And in 1533, he got on his face and he cried out to God. He said, Oh God, give me Scotland ere I die. Someone overheard him and wrote it down. I'm glad they did. There's a man with importunity. What happened? You say God gave him Scotland. John Knox affected the Scottish people with the gospel such that there was revival and people got saved by the hordes, the droves of people who got saved. Oh, hallelujah. You know, there's always some Christian who says, Pastor, I tried that. Pastor, I prayed. And nothing happened. Nothing happened. So tell me, what's the secret? My friend, the secret is good and bad. That's the secret. It's good and bad. Number one, what you're asking God for, is it something good? Is it something God would call good? Is it something that could be used for God's honor and God's glory? So number one, is it something good? Number two, how badly do you want it? Where's your hunger and your thirst? Imagine walking up to someone and saying, Hey, wouldn't you love to have the righteousness of God? And they answer you. Oh, I suppose. I mean, if God came down from heaven and came to me and offered it to me and I didn't have to pay anything for it. And he would maybe even just help me out and put it in my pocket here. Then, yeah, I think I would take it. That doesn't sound like a hunger and thirst to me. Does it to you? Where's your hunger and thirst? How badly do you want the thing that we're talking about? Now, some people have wondered how badly I'm wanting the 104 building, for example. And my answer to that is very simple. My answer is to the same degree that I want to glorify my heavenly father. If you ask me, pastor, how much do you really want to glorify God? I would tell you to the, the depth and height and length and breadth that my soul can reach. I want to glorify God with my life, with everything, everything there is. Lord, show me what little trinkets, what little, you know, marbles, whatever I've got. Anything that will glorify you, Lord, I want to glorify you. And as badly as I want to glorify God is as badly as I, as I want that 104 building. Well, you say, well, wait a minute. What if that building won't glorify God? 
then my answer is very simple. I want nothing to do with the 104 building. If the 104 building cannot glorify God, I don't want to be anywhere near it. I only want to be around that which will glorify God. Well, do you have a hunger and a thirst for something good? Do you pray about it? I mean, do you pray about it every morning? Do you think about it throughout the day? Do you pray about it at night before you go to sleep? How badly is it that you really want this thing? Because some people, they, they desire, but they don't have a hunger and thirst. What a difference. Do you have a hunger and thirst? Do you have a holy ache in your heart for this good thing? Have you come to a point of deciding you don't think you can live without it? Boy, there's a hunger and thirst. Go ask John Knox. Lord, give me Scotland ere I die. John Knox couldn't live without seeing the Scottish people come to know Christ as Savior. I ask young man, young single man. How badly do you want to get married? Is it bothering you? Is it in your soul? Is it like an itch you can't scratch? Do you hunger and thirst to find the right young lady and marry her? Do you feel you'll die without her? Let me ask you this. Will your life with her, when you find her and marry her, will your life glorify God with her? Or will it just glorify yourself? You see, that goes back to James chapter four, doesn't it? Ye ask and you receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Young, childless, married couple, how badly are you wanting a child? Will you glorify God with that child? Or as the child grows up, will you cling to that child and say, God, you can't have him. He's mine. How badly do you want that child? And will you glorify God with that son or that daughter? And what about those who feel God may be calling them into full-time service. What about them? First Timothy three, one, this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. And so we need to ask, what do you desire? Some fellows want to go in the ministry because they want to be up front and they want people to look at them and say, Oh, pastor, what a, what a lousy reason to go into the ministry. I'm telling you that will not last. <laughs> that is no reason to go in the ministry and don't go in the ministry to get rich either. Just a little tip. That's all. Say, well, how will we know? How do we know if what we want is, you know, that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? I mean, how do we know that what I'm wanting is really the good thing that God wants for me too. How do I know? 
Now that's a good question. I'll try and answer that. If you'll go back to the book of Psalms, go back there now and go to Psalm 23, go to Psalm 23, give you just a moment there. Psalm 23. Now this is a familiar Psalm. Everyone knows this Psalm. Lots of unsaved people. Half the, half the unsaved world probably has heard Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, but I want you to read with me out loud one verse. And that verse is verse number three, Psalm 23 and verse three together. Now read it out loud. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, right away, God's name is on the line. So, you know, he's going to do the right thing. His name, his reputation, his honor is on the line. You know, he's not going to make a mistake, but look at it carefully. Notice God promises to lead you and me. If we are in the paths of righteousness, look at it again. It doesn't say he leadeth me to the paths of righteousness. That's not what it says. It says he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. So get yourself in the path of righteousness and God will lead you. Now it's not one path. He leadeth me in the paths is a little S on the end of path. It makes it plural. There's more than one. What are the paths of righteousness? Well, I want to suggest quickly, number one, the path of the Bible. You're not going to know the will of God without the Bible. You will not know blessed fellowship with God without the Bible. You must have the Bible. You must fill yourself. You want to be filled with, with righteousness, then fill yourself with the word of God. You want to know if this or that is what God would have you do. Then you need to fill yourself with the word of God. And the book of Psalms is a wonderful place to begin, by the way. It's all good. But Psalms, there's just something so sweet about Psalms. Proverbs is another excellent book you want to spend a piece of your life in. So there's the path of the Bible. Read it and study it. Look for things that apply. Make notes. Number two, the path of much prayer. God is not going to give you things unless you're a praying Christian. And you need to use your importunity in prayer continually be going to God in the morning and go to God at noon and go to God at night. And then when you wake up at two in the morning, for some reason, go to God and talk to him again. There must be much prayer, the path of much prayer. Number three, there's the path of church services. If you can't physically be here, then log in. Don't miss a church service because the church services will feed you. They will inspire you. Now it's important that you make an appearance that you show up once in a while. That's very important that you fellowship with God's people. One of the problems with COVID is we're beginning to forget what some of you look like. Now I want to address those that are watching right now. If you haven't been to church in months, and you come up to me and I say, what was your name again? Don't be surprised. Come to church. That's one of the paths of righteousness. And number four is the path of Christian service. 
get involved. You say, what can I do this Saturday? Come and help us with the fire brigade. Come and help us. Give us an hour of your time. We'll give you 50 tracks. You put them in 50 mailboxes. You say, well, what if I can't make it on Saturday? You let Pastor Devian know. He'll give you a little map. He'll give you 50 tracks. You can go at it any time during the week. Help us get the word of God into this great city of Surrey. So volunteer for Christian service. But I'll tell you something else you should be doing. And that's tithing. Get involved with tithing. Get involved with faith promise missions. If you're not sure you can do it, talk to God about it. He's the one that'll help you. He'll help you to do it. And then he'll bless you because you've done it. Amen. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. I ask you tonight. Do you hunger and thirst? Because if you will do these, if you will get yourself into the paths of righteousness in a very short time, you will begin to hunger and thirst. And what you're looking for will come to pass. You will be filled because that's his promise. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. Would you bow your head in prayer with me, please? Our gracious heavenly father, help us not to forget the words of our savior, Jesus about hungering and thirsting. Wow. What a promise. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. And Lord, in order to, to serve you, it has to be in the paths of righteousness. Our lives are meant to bring you honor and glory all within the the context, within the framework of righteousness. Help us father to hunger and thirst for great things, for your glory, for your honor. Father, I pray for all of our church people, every single one. And I know there's some of our church people that aren't even watching tonight over the internet. They're doing other things. They're, in other pursuits. I know that some are off working. I realize that father, but there are many who could be tuning in and many that could even be here tonight. Still, we have room for a few more father, bless your people abundantly and help them to grow in love and in faith and in joy. Grant to them a hunger and thirst for righteousness and for the good things of the will of God. Lord bless us in the days to come. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen.